Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 45, where we interview Matt from MoneyLab.co. I was okay with bootstrapping, and I used to tell my mom, my mom used to get on me because I would say, she's like, well, how are you going to make money? Like, what, what happens when unemployment runs out? When are you going to get a job? I'm like, I'm not getting a job. This is my job. My job is going to be this. I'm going to make money by myself. I'm going to be a freelancer at the very worst. I'm going to be own my own website and make a ton of money passively at the very best. And I said, I'd rather honestly live in a cardboard box than work for anyone else other than myself. It's time for a new American dream, one that doesn't involve working in a cubicle for 40 years, barely scraping by. Whether you're looking to get your financial house in order, invest the money you already have, or discover new paths for wealth creation, you're in the right place. This show is for anyone who has money or wants more. This is the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. How's it going, everybody? I'm Scott Trench. I'm here with my co-host, Miss Mindy Jensen. How are you doing today, Mindy? I'm doing fantastic today, Scott. How are you today? I am doing great. This was a very fun interview, and I'm really excited to get to it. I think that it really highlights some of the challenges that come with entrepreneurship. We paint it as this kind of big end goal to become self-employed, work for yourself, you know, not have to work for the man kind of deal. And I think that Matt has been extremely successful in doing that but not without a, a large amount of challenges and hurdles to overcome along the way. So I think this is a really good perspective for a lot of people who kind of paint that as the grass is greener on the other side. Yes. And you know, you said something that I don't think people really realize. You said when you work for yourself, there's this different mentality than when you work for somebody else. When you work for yourself, if you're going to make your job successful, if you're going to make your side hustle, your entrepreneurial pursuits successful, it's still work. You just don't have somebody else telling you what to do. And that's great. That's really liberating. That's freeing. But that's also all the stress on you, all the pressure on you. Because if you are the one that messes up, you are the one who has to pay for it. As opposed to when you work for a company and you mess up, you're like, oops, or as you say, whoopsies. <laughs> but that that said, if you want to become an entrepreneur and you want to go through this, Matt's a great resource to learn from. And this interview will be extremely helpful perspective in general because it does highlight a very different outlook on how to handle money and, and approach finances. That's not necessarily wrong. It's just different. Yes. And Matt definitely has a different way of approaching his finances. And, you know, I really like this episode because he's taking off the rose-colored entrepreneur glasses and telling you the real way it is. This is what I did. This is how long it took me. This is my experience with running my own company. And it's not always glossy and beautiful. Absolutely. Well, should we bring him in? Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. 
Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Matt, whose last name I can never pronounce properly, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. How's it going today? Uh, good. Thanks for having me. Can you please tell everybody your last name? I always pronounce it wrong and it's not you, it's me. It's Givanisi. Givanisi. Okay, yeah, so Matt- if you're if you're really Italian, it's Giovanici. Yeah, I'm not either. So Matt, tell us about you. I was born in a small town in South Jersey. So not like Jersey Shore, Jersey, but like Philadelphia, Jersey. So I had my first job when I was 13 years old. I worked in a pool store, a local pool store in my town. And I did that from 13 to 17. And then I moved to another pool company and I was the youngest employee ever at that pool company at this other bigger pool company. And I had prior experience in the pool industry. <laughs> and they were so- like, how is that even possible? <laughs> I was like, yes, I know how to test water. I know how to know what chemicals are. So I got hired there and worked there for a super long time, was assistant manager at one point, and then got poached by another pool company and was the manager at this other pool company for a year and then got poached back by the same company and worked there. And then I got pulled away and was a website designer for another company for six months and then got poached back to the same pool company. But this time I ended up in the marketing department in the corporate headquarters. And that was when I was 25. So like I basically have been in the pool industry of some from 13 to 25 stocking shelves, testing people's pool water and doing all those things. So you have worked in the pool industry since you were 13. I find it interesting that you said that at age 17, you were the youngest employee at the new place, but you didn't mention that at age 13, you were the youngest person there. Did they have a 12 year old there? Yeah, I don't think I was. Yeah, I'm serious. I'm serious. But I was, I was told multiple times I was the youngest at the newer company. Yeah. Okay. So it just, wasn't a family owned business. The, the, the first one was a family owned business. The second one was not. Thank you. I was going to clarify that yeah, for yeah. the listeners who don't know already your story. Okay. So now you're in the marketing department. I'm assuming that this is some foreshadowing to your future life. Yes. So I'm in the marketing department. You know, I know how to do website design. I know how to do video. I know how to do graphic design. I know how to do all these things. And so I parlayed that into my own business which is called swimuniversity.com. It still exists today. It is my bread and butter nowadays. 
And it's a website where I teach people how to take care of their pools and hot tubs because I know that world very well. So I took my knowledge of pool care and my knowledge of building websites and I passion mashed them together. And here we are with like what I do. So yeah, that's sort of like how I got into the make money online space. But prior to that, I was not very good at that. I got a question here. So yeah. from, from 17 to 25, you're working full-time in the pool industry. What are you doing with your money during this period of time? <laughs> uh, spending it uncontrollably. <laughs> when I turned 18, I got a credit card in the mail and it was a had a credit limit of $500. I remember that. And I remember I showed my parents and they're like, cool, throw it out. And I was like, why? They're like, cause you shouldn't have a credit card. And of course I disobeyed them hard. And I opened it up, immediately spent it all at Target. I bought like a water fountain for my desk, uh, some candy, I'm sure, some beef jerky, whatever. I spent $500 in a single day at Target on this credit card and then didn't even, didn't pay it for, I don't know, a year because I, <laughs> no one taught me that I needed to do that. So uh, I went into credit card debt almost <laughs> instantly. <laughs> That was the first moment you could possibly have done it. It was yep. right at 18, get your yep. credit card. Okay. Yeah, as soon as yep. you could possibly <laughs> screw up your finances, you did. I think you're the youngest <laughs> financial screw up that we've had so far. So congratulations. Yeah. See, I'm the youngest in that too. I do want to point out that spending $500 at Target in one sitting is not some sort of unique thing. If you knew what I spent <laughs> it on, you'd be like, that's impressive. <laughs> well, the, no. the essentials. Yeah, a drinking fountain essential. for your desk, candy, uh, beef jerky. To. Like what else yep. do you need? Soda? And then you're golden. Yeah, pretty much it. Okay. So you're a financial deadbeat. When you say you didn't pay your credit card bill for a year, did you mean that you paid the minimum nope. or you made no payments at all? And I now didn't. your credit score is like zero yep. or like four. No payments at all. Until my friend said to me, you know, you have to pay that every month. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's, it's credit. It just sits there and I'll pay it when I'm, when I have $500, I'll pay it. He goes, that's not how credit cards work. <laughs> what do you mean? He's like, well, every month you're accruing interest. It's like going, like you're owing more and more each month. I'm like, not to mention I'm killing my credit score. I, again, didn't know, had no idea because I mean, not to blame my parents for uh, everything, but they were, they were just, they just told me you don't get a credit card. And so didn't learn it in school, didn't learn it from my parents, learned it from my friend who was uh, my contemporary, same age as me. So well, in your parents' benefit, they did tell you not to, and you just they did. disobeyed them. Okay, disobeyed so what that. happened after your friend tells you, hey, you do have to pay this, and you're like, oh, really? I didn't know that. What did you do next? I remember, I think it went up to like $1,500 I owed on it. Oh, my God. Yeah, because I mean, 500 wasn't, but I didn't have $1,500 just laying around. So <laughs> what I actually did was I did it again. I opened another credit card because I was out of the $500. That one had 1000 and a 26% interest rate, I think, if I remember correctly, and rack that up and then didn't pay that off either. And so, yeah, I had two what, credit cards. What'd you spend the $1,000 on? That I don't remember. Probably more fountains <laughs> for my desk and bubble gum and beef jerky and other dumb things for my, <laughs> for my life. I don't know. Cap guns, maybe. I don't know. Scott, why is this guy on the show? I, well, <laughs> well, I will say that I was basically had no education in money or finances whatsoever. I also, I was working full time. I was not in college. I didn't, I did go to college twice for two weeks. 
So that means that in 2001, I went to college for two weeks and dropped out. And then I tried to go again the following semester for two more weeks and then also dropped out community college, nothing crazy. So, but I was working, I was making money. And so I didn't really, didn't think I needed college. I was good in school, but I just was not good in college because I was a ham and <laughs> no one liked, no, none of the <laughs> teachers really liked that. Uh, yeah, no, they don't how like much, a class clown. How much were you making at this pool job in that That's period? A, I was probably $20 an hour maybe at the time. I mean, we're talking like close to 15 years ago. So that was pretty good for, you know, a 17 year old. That's um, really good. I yeah, was making really, yeah. 10 an hour when I was 17 and thinking that I was just the cat's meow. Yeah. And I just kept going up. I remember when I was finally 25 and working in corporate, I was doing 40 to 60, somewhere in that a thousand a year. And so when I turned 25, I bought a house. I bought a condo, a brand new condo. And I've talked about this on bigger pockets before, actually. <laughs> I am a uh, accidental landlord because I bought a condo with no money down. My credit score was, I think, 575 maybe. And this was October 3rd, 2008. So Black Monday, as it's now referred. The day the stock market crashed, I was closing the deal on a brand new condo. And how much was it? 180000 yeah. Peak market value for the, for this condo. Where was it again? It was in South Jersey. South Jersey. Okay. Yeah. 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia. So still own it. Cause I can't sell it cause I still owe money on it. And now it's under litigation. So now I really can't sell it. So the builders are being sued by our HOA. So it's just a, okay. it's just a nightmare. But so there's this moment, I think 25, 26 years old. I have this side business. It's making some money. This swimuniversity.com side business. I got fired from my pool job because my boss found out that I started this pool website on the side and thought it was a conflict of interest and let me go. So and, wait, the pool yeah. place that you were working at, what did they do? They sold in-ground pools, above-ground pools, and they owned four retail stores. So you're teaching people how to take care of the products that your company sells. I don't see that as a conflict of interest. Yes, I don't either, but he okay. did. So well, uh, I guess his I was, opinion is the only one that counts. Yeah. So that was fine because I had another job lined up for a couple of years. And for those couple of years, I was doing marketing, but it was for a restoration company. So a, a property restoration. And I ended up getting laid off from that job. And I had a year of unemployment basically. And I decided to take that year and focus on building my side business to full time. But not only that, I also decided to learn how to be better with money because I was kind of sick and tired of living paycheck to paycheck. I was sick and tired of being a deadbeat or not even like, you know, in the credit card world, I think they call people who pay their credit cards on time deadbeats, but I was <laughs> not that person. So I just, was tired and I was in debt. Credit card debt was probably about $10,000 in credit card debt. And I'm like, I can't start a business. I owned, I owned a BMW. I was like, cause I was making like 60 grand. I was first of my friends to own a house first to have a paying job because everyone was in college at the time. So I just decided that if I'm going to start my own business and I have to bootstrap it, that I need to really get better with my personal finances. And no one could help me. No one in my 
life really was good with money, really, that I could be my like maybe financial mentor. So I started reading books and that's how I learned everything is through just like reading books and getting better with basically how I handled my money because I was, again, really terrible at it. So what year was this? You you're you just gotten fired. You bought the house. What's the time frame for you leaving this job and kind yeah. of just saying, I'm going to turn around here? Yeah, I think I was 27 because I bought my house when I was 25. I was about two years in and 27, 28 years old when I, when I finally was like, okay, like, I mean, I was making good money. I was living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, I was making good money, but my credit score was still pretty low. And, you know, I had no savings. I had nothing in retirement accounts or any of that stuff. And I just basically ended up figuring out that the books that I read specifically were first book I read was the simple dollar. His name's Trent ham. I believe who wrote that book. And then I read, I will teach you to be rich. Mm. And those were the two books. And I remember I will teach you to be rich was the one that like taught the automation stuff. And that's kind of, I was in the internet world. So the automation of your finances like really helped me figure it out. And then I started doing, uh, the debt avalanche method for getting rid of credit card debt. So I had a whiteboard of all of my credit cards and I started with my highest interest credit card first and worked to pay that off and then worked to pay the second one off. And, and I went in order of what is it? Credit card interest, high interest, to low interest instead of the other way around. So I was able to do that relatively quickly because I was working part-time as a freelance website designer and I had an unemployment coming in and I had a little bit of income coming in from my swim university business. And I decided though, that my nut was probably like $4,500 a month. So like with my condo and my BMW and, and all these expenses, I just felt really bad and really stupid having all of those things while I was on unemployment. So I got rid of them. I ended up renting out my condo and moved in with my younger brother until he had a house and I moved in with him. And I sold my BMW for a cheap Honda Civic Coupe and basically lowered my expenses from $4,500 a month to about $1,300 a month. And that Jeez. was, I did that for two years while I focused nonstop on building everything else. Okay. I'm going to stop you right there and just say, by taking your property and renting it out, getting rid of your expensive BMW to go uh-huh. with a cheaper car, you took your expenses from $4,500 to $1,300. I yep. read in the Bigger Pockets forums and I hear from people all the time, oh, I don't know what to do. My housing is so expensive. My car is $600 a month or, you know, all these yep. things. I'm like, sell the car. Oh, I just got it. Sell yeah. it. Sell it's $600 a month every month that <laughs> you have it. I had the BMW for one year. Sometimes sold, you make I bad just, decisions. I may, And I took a bath on it too. Like, for sure. Yeah. And I moved in with my brother now. So I moved in with my younger brother. He was charging me $500 a month for the room in his house, which is pretty much all I paid. I didn't pay for utilities or anything, but my alternative was moving back in with my parents. And I also had no problem doing that because to me, it was more important that I start my business and make money on my own terms than I cared where I lived at the time. So I was okay with bootstrapping. And I used to tell my mom, my mom used to get on me because I would say, she's like, well, how are you going to make money? Like what, what happens when unemployment runs out? When are you going to get a job? 
I'm like, I'm not getting a job. This is my job. My job is going to be this. I'm going to make money by myself. I'm going to be a freelancer at the very worst. I'm going to be own my own website and make a ton of money passively at the very best. And I said, I'd rather honestly live in a cardboard box than work for anyone else other than myself. And that was just my driving force of doing this. Now, granted, I have no kids. I had no significant other. I was, I had a dog. I had a dog that my parents now have because they have a yard and I didn't have anywhere to put him, and they wanted him. And so he lives there now, but yeah, I did it. And I, I gave myself one year and I did to supplement the unemployment that I was getting. I was also doing website design work. So I was getting like freelance clients. I took that money and I paid off my debt with it. I low monthly expenses. And so I used the rest of it to just get rid of my credit card debt as fast as humanly possible. And that was everything. And the debt that you're talking about is the $10,000 in credit card debt. Was there anything else? No, I had no student loans because I didn't go to college. (laughs) Yeah, that that was pretty much it. So as far as debt goes, I would call myself lucky because I know a lot of other people who are in much greater credit card debt and who have student loans, which I can't imagine at all. I'm so thankful I didn't go to college, to be honest, because where I am now, I would not, <laughs> I would not be here if, it, if I went to college for sure. All right. So, so, I mean, this is awesome. Like, this is a, a great story of just like not knowing about money, having that turning point, reading, educating, and then making mm-hmm. drastic changes to the obviously big levers in your spending, yes. accumulating a lot of, or at least paying off a lot of debt. Let's go to the, I'm assuming this is the success part here, right? But we're, that we're just getting to all <laughs> the meteoric rise of your legendary career. Yeah. You're assuming their success. <laughs> yeah. You're yeah. assuming. Yeah. So, um, not to spoil any surprises. Yeah. No. Spoiler alert Matt's life <laughs> doesn't continue to suck forever. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but I will say that it's not a meteoric rise. I believe meteoric, like nothing happened fast. It was incredibly slow. And I've never had that hockey stick moment of like, oh, all of a sudden, like Neil deGrasse Tyson linked to swim university and I started getting all this traffic and and now I'm making all the money. No, absolutely not. I mean, there's so many ups and downs with uh, I'm such a scatterbrain type of like dreamer when it comes to this business stuff. So that the first year I was like gung ho on swim university. I'm like working my ass off on it. And I ended up starting. I remember I started a website, built a social network for dogs for like a couple months. So I was like, Oh, you know, like people are putting their dogs on Facebook and like talking like them. So like, what if I built an entire network of that? And then So I did. And then I was like, wait a minute, I don't like dogs this much. Why am I getting into this business? And so I (laughs) shut that down. But that was, you know, that was a detour from what I was supposed to be working on. And then maybe like the first full year of, you know, unemployment eventually ran out. And I think Swim University was making about $20,000 a year that first year. The rest of my income came from, you know, the freelance web stuff. And then I started a podcast with my buddy, Andrew, called Listen Money Matters that took eight months for it to see any success. But that's where all my time was. And I was helping build the site. And meanwhile, Swim University just kind of sat there and I was kind of hoping, oh, I'd have both Swim You and I'd have Listen Money Matters and that would be my thing. And then we started doing a daily podcast and it really blew up. I mean, it really had that hockey stick moment where like we were getting a lot of downloads and then we could get sponsors. And then like, I just got super burned out by the end of the year. 
and realized I, we didn't, hadn't made any money the entire year. And so I quit that whole project and looked at swim university and said, okay, like now I'm back at swim. You, you need to make money. And I'm talking to a computer screen at this point, you have to make money. And so I spent the next year after that trying to take swim you to $40,000 a year. And I did that, which is still not a lot of money, but I was still living with my brother at the time. And then after that, it just started to slowly go up. So let's walk through how were you making money at SwimU yeah. and what did you do to increase it to yeah. double that on your online business? So at the time it had three revenue streams. One was affiliate links. So I had affiliate links to this company. So anytime I mentioned a chemical that I recommended or a robotic pool cleaner that I recommended, I would link to the company and they would buy it and I would get a small commission, affiliate marketing. The other way I did it was through sponsorships. So I had a decent sized email list, maybe about like 10,000 people. And I had some traffic to the website that was pretty good. And I was the only unbiased third party like website that would not third party, but unbiased website in the pool industry. So I was able to take sponsors because I had no affiliation to anyone. And so I did some sponsorship work, meaning like banner ads on the site, banner ads and the emails and stuff. And then the third way was I actually wrote a book at the time called the hot tub handbook. So it was an ebook that I charged, uh, I think $19 for, and then I ended up writing another book. So I have now I currently have two books uh, on the site. Both are $29. And um, so that's the one revenue stream, sponsorships and affiliate marketing. And then to ramp those up, I did few, a few things. One is I just kept writing content on the website to improve its traffic. So the more traffic, the more people were clicking my affiliate links and buying my products. Uh, and the more I could charge for sp- uh, sponsorships. But then I also built my own plugin to keep track of and display affiliate links on my own website. And I am not a programmer. I'm not a very good programmer, but I hacked something together using the Amazon API that took me like a month and a half to figure out, but it, you know, it's my full-time job. So I had a full month and it was my income. So I put everything I had into building this thing and it certainly helped because it allowed me to display the products within the content and their pricing and their pictures and a nice big button. So that really helped drive up the amount of affiliate revenue that I was earning from that site. Oh, wait. So you'll mention a pool chemical. Yeah. And your self-built plugin goes and grabs it from Amazon. Hey, this is Uh what it looks like. This is what Uh it is. Click right here to order. Yep. Oh, did you sell that later on? Yes. Okay. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. So yeah, that's basically the, that was the the base of it. And I just grew it by, at that point, it was just all about traffic. So it was getting as much traffic to the website as possible through writing more content. So I was doing a lot of writing, filming videos for YouTube. I was doing that a lot and posting Pinterest images and all the social media thingies. So it was really just that for a long time. So how long were you working on swim you? Like how many hours a week? Was this your 40 hour a week job? Your 10 hour a week job? Certain years, certain years, because I tend to flip back and forth between projects because I get very bored. But the consistency of it was I had started swim you in 2004. I built it, took me two years to like do anything with it. I lost the domain name. I had to buy it back. And like, then it started officially in 2006 and I kind of worked on it at night, you know, while I was still had a full-time job. And it was really hard because I don't like writing. I'm not a good writer. So I was writing like these 300 word articles that were pretty awful. And I was, but I was doing like infographics. 
So a lot of that helped the site early on and I was doing it all on the side. So again, like I would be working a full-time job at a pool store or even in the, the corporate world doing the website for the pool company. And then I'd come home and do more pool stuff. So it was just like, that's all I was doing for a while. And so you get burned out on that. And then that's when you start building uh, social networks for dogs and you start, you know, a podcast about personal finance, you do all these other things, but it's always been there. And every time I kind of divert and do this other project, the swim, you kind of always sits there and it always slowly builds traffic because it's like one of the only games in town to learn that information. So I would say like when I'm really focused on it, it's absolutely more than 40 hours a week now because it would be what I, I mean, for an entire year, you know, I filmed a rat video on how to take care of a pool. Uh, I did, <laughs> it, I did infographics, like lots of infographics that would, that would take me weeks to make. I would write and writing was such a, a nightmare for me. So they would take me very long. And like I coded the whole site from scratch and did everything. I mean, I did every single piece of it that I could. So that was, yeah, it was definitely more than 40 hours a week. And obviously like you have to promote it. And, you know, I was still doing website design on the side. So there was just a lot of, a lot of work to do all of that. And, you know, I still have my divergence. I see the shiny object and I'll go do that for a while. And then, but swim, you kind of always remains. It's always there and it always like slowly grows over time. So this is like the, this is kind of like the classic entrepreneurial hustle, right? You're working <laughs> yeah. 80, 80 hours a week between your part-time gig and your yeah. business here so that you can avoid working 40, right? Right. <laughs> when, when do you see the the lifestyle results, I guess, or the the income that you're looking for? It sounds like you really dive full-time into this in 2010 at 27. Yeah. When do you start seeing the, like, the results begin piling up to where you can start supporting a lifestyle that's not living with your brother or parents? Or? Yeah. 2015. So it takes you five years of this. Yeah. What I normally tell people is if anyone's like starting an online business for the first time, I'm like, it takes four years. It takes four years to do. And so for four years, it, you're not going to make any money. And I mean developing a content site. There are other ways to do this much faster. You know, If you were a programmer, you could build a SaaS product and do it much faster. But it takes four years. It's been everybody I've ever talked to and, and myself included with any project. It's always taken four years for it to get me significant. So for me, it took five. So, you know, I stayed in college the one extra year because I didn't know what I really wanted. So five years and I was finally, I, I think at five years, I was making $100,000 a year from it. And I remember because when I was living with my brother, I had my own room and I had a whiteboard and I had one of those, I drew with a red marker on the whiteboard, the thermometer. And at the top of the thermometer was $100,000. And so every month I would fill in the thermometer until I got there. And that was my goal for the year in 2000. I think 14 or 15, my, my goal was that. And I achieved it, but like by the skin of my teeth, I think I really did like $99,410 or some random, you know, slightly under, but I was like, yeah, I filled the rest in. It's like, hey, <laughs> what's another 500 bucks. And then I met my girlfriend at FinCon because I was, I also was in personal finance. And I mean, at that point I was making enough money from some university that like I, had a lifestyle business, but I never considered it to be 80 hours or trying to be to work. You know, I was never striving for the four hour work week. I was this, I love all of this. It's a hobby. Like I wake up in the morning and go to my computer because I want to, it's like, a, it's, I actually enjoy working on labor day, you know, which I just did. So 
it's, it is a, it's a hobby and I don't treat it like work. Sometimes it's very frustrating and more times than not, it's stressful. I, I am more stressed out now working for myself than I ever was working for anybody else. So that's the trade-off is like, I don't have a boss, but now if I don't make money one month, like it stresses me out or if Amazon changes their business model, I get screwed and that's stressful. And you know, if my internet goes down, I'm stressed, you know, all that is just much more stress for sure. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So 
How do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split, with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com BP. So are you still working 40 hours a week? Yeah, 100%. Is, but, but I mean, is it is it only 40 hours a week? Is it more than, I know that you love your job. I love my job. I yeah. probably work more than 40 hours a week, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I try to take off on the weekends. So I would say maybe 50 hours. So like today, I, I don't get started with work until maybe 10. And then I stop at six and eat dinner, but then I might work after dinner. And then, yeah, I I would say I work maybe 50 hours a week. You know, obviously some weeks are more labor intensive than others, because if you look at my site, I have challenges where I am like heads down for multiple days and I'm a zombie. Like you can't talk to me. I'm just in the zone. But for the most part, yeah, I try to take off, try to have fun. Can. Okay. If you didn't do anything at swim university for today or, you know, next week, how long could it run by itself? It could run by itself for probably five years. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's again, I've been doing it for 10 years. It's a resource site. It's a, it's a book that lives online. And as long as Amazon doesn't you know, change their affiliate link structure and maybe some plugins need to be updated here and there. And like the website, you know, obviously some things change on the internet. So sometimes you have to like do some code tweaks, but it could be a passive site, but that's not how I treat it. I, I do have a small team of people that help me consistently create content on it and help me create more products, but it's a small team of four people. It's me and three other people. And I want to keep it going and I want to nurture it. And so I do work on it. I've been recently doing videos for it and I still do some of the social media stuff. So and mainly cause I like it. But yeah, if I let it go, it, it could last for a very long time. And I, and, I, and I could sell it if I wanted to, too. Awesome. Um, yeah. What are you doing with your money while you're accumulating it right now? You're earning all this yeah. money. You're, you got to 100K a couple of years ago. How are you kind of managing it? What's your kind of goal with your personal finances? Well, that actually all changed yesterday. So I would like to say that before that, I was paying myself a salary of, I think, $5,000 a month through a payroll company. So what am I making? Maybe $3,500 a month, right? And most of that money was going to paying staff. So I had a lot of staff before and I was trying to build a big media company. I wanted a big digital media company similar to like Vox, BuzzFeed, Vice, those kind of companies, but but more in the very niche pool and homebrewing and coffee space, which is what the websites that I ran. So I really was hoping to do that. And I spent a lot of money 
In the last couple of years, the company was doing very well. And so I thought, let's reinvest that money into the company and try to really grow it. And I failed at that because ultimately when it comes down to it, I consider myself like a craftsman and I was trying to be a businessman. And I'm very quick to spend money for quality stuff, but very slow to see if it actually is paying off or not. So for that reason, a lot of the money that I was making was really just a little bit of it was going into a Betterment account. So I have two accounts there. I have an IRA that I've had for multiple years. So I max out my IRA every year. And I have a brokerage account through Betterment, which I put $500 a month into my IRA and have for like five or six years. And I do about on a good month because I have a seasonal business. You know, During the summertime, I make more money than I do in the wintertime since it's about swimming pools. I try to put more away in the summer into a brokerage account and less in the wintertime when I don't have money. So those are the two places that I do the most investing. And then I have a checking account that kind of pays that I use to pay my bills. And recently I've decided to like be more of a lifestyle business and not try to build this massive company. And so I downsized our staff. So it's just a small team of us and I'm going to take some of that money for myself and start to invest it into a savings account. So put a lot away in a savings, just like, you know, high yield savings account and obviously add more to Betterment. And if I can maybe start another type of uh, investment account and and retirement account, like a 401k or maybe another IRA, I'm going to do that as well. And I'm trying to save up to buy a home because right now I am renting. I had, you know, you know, after I had moved out with my brother and I met my girlfriend, we decided to move from South Jersey to Colorado. And we've been living in Colorado now for three years and we've been renting. So now uh, I'm kind of like, even though I already own my own home and in, in back in Jersey, I want to buy one that, you know, I kind of want to die in is kind of the way I'm looking at it. So I'm not looking at an investment property. I'm looking at the home I die in. <laughs> Wow, what a morbid, but yeah. Yeah, what a happy thought. Okay, so what are you doing for health insurance right now? You don't have a real job where you go yeah. and I you know what? I'm sorry. I shouldn't say real job, not because of you, but I don't want to offend other people that are listening who are maybe working for themselves. You don't have don't, a boss. I don't have a real job. You're right. You don't have I I know <laughs> that, but yeah. for people who are listening who may be in the same situation. I'm um, self-employed. You're self-employed. So what yes. do you do for health insurance? Uh, and I pay for the state of Colorado's, I think, catastrophe insurance. Yeah. So covers uh, nothing. I bas- yeah, I basically pay. Uh, I think it's like three hundred and thirty-five dollars a month. That might be entirely accurate. Uh, to basically not have to be penalized through my taxes at the end of every year, uh, which keeps going up. So yeah, that's just my base health insurance. I don't use it. I pay everything else in cash. So if I have to go, like I just went to the dentist to get a crown put in and I had to pay $3,000 out of pocket to get all that work done. Uh, I had to to replace four cavities or two deep cleanings and a a regular cleaning. And, and I actually buy the health insurance. They offer their own version of a dental plan um, at this one dentist that I go to. And so I think it's like 350 bucks a year, but I get two free cleanings I'm free. I mean, I'm paying for it and uh, 20% off any, procedures that need to be done. And I needed a lot of procedures done. So I, yeah, I paid for it out of pocket. You know, I had to go to the foot doctor once and I paid for that out of pocket. And I've been doing that for years. I mean, even before mandatory health insurance, I mean, I just didn't have it and I just paid cash for things. But now that it's mandatory, I I do pay into the system because I want to. 
And I do like the idea that if something horrible happens, there's a cap at least with my deductible. So catastrophe insurance is fine for me. And I don't have any other, I don't take any prescriptions. I don't wear glasses. So I don't have any like recurring medical bills that I need to worry about too much. So it's okay right now for me to have pretty low insurance and and pay for things out of pocket. But, you know, obviously as I get older, that, that may change. So things may move into a more aggressive health insurance plan. Okay. We have recently spoken to PT Philip Taylor from FinCon and his family is on the health sharing plan. One of those like Liberty. I can't remember what the name of his was. Is it through a church? His is through a church, but there are other ones that don't have such a stringent religion aspect of it. Have you ever considered one of those or is that just not good for your situation? Uh, I just kind of want to make it easy on myself. I don't have a family. So right now it's, I'm okay with paying what I'm paying. You know, I have money now, so it's much easier for me to say this, but I usually pay for convenience. And so if something costs more money, but it's convenient for me, I'm going to pay for it. I don't really like doing a lot of research. I'm not a tax (laughs) dodger. I'm not, you know, I'm not looking into my taxes like, Ooh, how can I change this and do that? So I can shave a little off the top for myself. I tend to just go like, Hey, whatever, I can just click a button and pay. uh, It's fine. You know, like (laughs) that's kind of how I approach a lot of things. Like I had this anecdote that's really stupid, but if milk costs $3, but you have to walk to the back of the store to get it, as opposed to a $5 gallon of milk at the front of the store, I'm the guy who's going to pay $5 for a gallon of milk because I don't want to walk to the back of the store. (laughs) Okay. So Matt and I are different people. (laughs) Yeah. I am not, I am not frugal by any means. And that comes from my previous life. You know, I spent $500 at Target that I didn't have. So I am not a frugal person, but I use money as a tool for an easier life and a more fun life. And so you know, if money lets me not do something that I hate doing, I'm going to use it for that. If money is going to help me avoid stress, I'm going to do that. And so I'm not a hoarder or a miser. I'm not like pinching every penny. I'm, I'm more concerned about my well-being as a, a mentally, you know, going through the rest of this life. Well, and that's valid. I mean, you have to be able to live the life. Some people really want to clip 3000 coupons. And I did that once and I'm like, yeah, I'm done with that. Yeah. I need to save 25 cents because I'm not interested in that. You know, if yeah. I was interested, just like for me, my time is better spent and I have more fun working on my business and increasing my income versus I have a static income and I have to, you know, make every dollar count the way that I built my life. I actually can spend time the other way. Whereas like, if you do have a real job, it's very hard to make more money faster because you're kind of capped and you have to keep going and asking for a raise versus me. I could sit at the computer for 30 days straight without showering and make more money as long as I put the time in. I, I love it. And, and what you're talking about is basically like, it's very commonsensical in a lot of ways in the sense that you, unlike maybe most of the, many of the listeners on to this podcast have control over your income. You can apply yes. the levers there and increase that and drive that versus your full-time median or upper middle-class wage earner. You know, you got your pattern set. Here's your, your salary. You're looking at a five, 10, 15% raise if you're really good over the next year. And mm-hmm. how do I build both? Well, I have to save, spend as little as possible and invest that as efficiently as possible in order to move my financial position forward. You're like, exactly. Hey, Saving is could be irrelevant. I could potentially double my income next year if I work my business and apply the correct pressure in the correct right. spots. So yeah, and I also I used to have this mindset of why save? 
I, what if I get hit by a bus tomorrow? All that saving was for nothing. But we just talked about why you save, right? You, I know. you may not have considered it saving. You got started in this business by living on $1,300 a month and selling right. off all of the things that were a drag on your finances, which enables you to put this business together. And now you don't need to. But 100%. if you lost your business, I bet you you'd be right back to oh, that frugal yep. lifestyle. And then you'd do it again until you didn't need to anymore. To be honest, and yeah, I, I yeah, hundred percent. And I and I say I used to say that. I don't say that anymore, obviously. Yeah. But that frugalness still applies because I, yes, I may not be frugal in the milk scenario, right? And we're talking about two dollars <laughs> there. When it came to my business, even when we were, my business was doing like six figures plus, I was doing very well, and I was still making less than I was making at my second job because I was putting all of that money back into the business, hoping to grow it even more so that later I could make even more money. But the problem is you get stuck in this like trap of constantly adding more to your business and not giving anything to yourself. And I was self-sacrificing. And so, you know, recently I've decided that maybe it's time to sort of like scale back. I don't need to just push this business as hard as I need to. I don't need to turn it into a real quote unquote business. Because I, I don't like the term lifestyle business, but look, let's be honest. That's essentially what's what I've built. And if I stop spending money to grow it aggressively, then it is a lifestyle business. And if that money is going to me and it's, and it's making decent money, and if I use my own hours to pull those levers to make more money, then great. I could also use the, you know, the money as a tool to hire somebody else to pull those levers for me. And that could work too which ultimately I failed at recently. And so I'm, I'm kind of going back the other way. And so even as early as last year, I was struggling with income coming in, you know, because I was paying so much out of pocket to have things done for me. So now I am sort of reevaluating that and going, well, it's okay to sit down on my computer and do some work, pull those levers myself and maybe give myself a, a bigger cut and, and actually reap the rewards of the thing that I've been building for 10 years finally. So, and then look to buy a house. That would be nice. What you just said in a nutshell is I'm not frugal. I have a, a spender's mentality. Yeah. I just don't give myself any money and I invest all of it <laughs> in my business. Yeah. So of well, course that's, that's spending. That's spending though, right? Just, that's investing, right? It's investing if it works. Yeah. It's well, spending if it doesn't. I think what you're you're embodying sound financial management, right? You're mm-hmm. you're, you're saying I'm I can't do this. I'm not I'm not I'm a spender at heart. But you're not giving yourself the chance to spend any money because you've been investing in your business, which I think is like a you know something that you're paying yourself first, basically in some form. Yes, you're, I mean you're right. Fundamentally, you're right. I, I sometimes find it hard to see it that way because it's literally dollars going out of the door. But yes, you're right. I, that was all that money was basically being reinvested in the business and could absolutely pay off in the future and still might pay off in the future, even if it didn't work today. But you're right. I mean, like the thing is, is that spending mentality is just me like throwing money out the door. Like I'm I'm very quick to just make a decision going that, yeah, just throw money at the problem. Like just throw money at it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then more recently now I'm thinking maybe not do that so much. So, so willy nilly for lack of a better term. Okay. I've got like 27 questions. Really quickly, what does lifestyle business mean? Because I've heard that term, but I don't actually know what you're talking about. I think lifestyle business means that you have a business that allows you to do whatever you want to do. Okay. And that's pretty much in in a nutshell. And it usually means like having a small team of people or just being a solopreneur in some cases. And basically having your hours freed up. 
you know, where you don't have to work. You can work a four hour work week if you really wanted to, or you can work an 80 hour work week if that's what you choose to do. Okay. You took SwibU from $20,000 a year to $100,000 a year in just five short years. So what were you doing differently that made the income so much more? Yeah. Uh, The biggest thing, there there was two changes that I made. One was I started writing better content. And now I can give you literal examples of that. So early in my career, when I was starting Swim University, I was writing 300 word articles that were terrible. I'm not good at English. So what I did was I learned English online. I just like, you know, read a bunch of blogs, read some books on, on how to write and learned grammar again. I guess maybe I never really learned it in the first place. Uh, I was pretty bad at English, even in high school. And I started writing longer form articles. So I started writing, going from 300 words to more like 3000 words. And I was targeting keywords that I had already targeted, but were just really weak. And really like the content itself was really weak. So I spent so much time like just writing words, which is so boring to me, but I, that's what I had to do. And on top of that, creating graphic visual aid, for lack of a better term again, to showcase like what I was teaching. Like if I was talking about how to get rid of pool algae in your water, I would create like an infographic. I would create these little graphics to explain like what is algae, how does, you know, chlorine kill algae, whatever. And then the second big thing that I did, which was also content based is I started making YouTube videos. And when I started making YouTube videos, no one else at the time was really doing it. And to be honest, like no one's really doing it that well now in my particular industry. And so that was my competitive edge. And I was able to grow the traffic significantly from creating content that was just better than everybody else's. And so that grew the traffic and that started bringing in sponsors because they could see my face. They knew who I was. They were impressed with my work. And I was just getting more traffic, which meant more clicks to my affiliate links, which made more money. And then the final part of that was... I wrote books. I've actually created my own products, which I hadn't had the first, you know, six years of my business. And when I created my own products, that started to help bring in a little bit more income. So it was really just doing better work, actually. Okay. That makes sense. You know, here at Bigger Pockets is a company as well that's yep. in the online space, right? And, you know, the business, if you look at it from like a metrics perspective, there's how many people are you reaching? And then how many dollars are you, are you generating per visit? And those are two ways to kind of measure the business. It sounds like you just applied pressure at both points in that funnel. How do I get more people to my site? And then how do I make more money per visitor exactly. by providing useful content and features in front of each of my visitors? Yep, exactly how I did it. But the first four or five years was just like, I learned some bad things and I was reading some bad books and I was writing a lot of crappy content and a lot of it. I mean, like when I say I was writing 300 word articles, it wasn't just like one. I wrote like hundreds and hundreds of <laughs> 300 word articles and posted them everywhere and none of them paid off. So I was doing a lot of work. It just was the wrong kind of work. Okay. So how can we kind of suppose that you're putting yourself in the shoes of somebody listening to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast mm-hmm. and you're somebody who's working toward financial freedom. You've got a good job or you know, you're starting to save up some money, beginning to invest. How do you use kind of the things that you've learned about building online businesses to advance your financial position? That's a tough question. And I'll say this. The thing for me was focusing on my existing strengths. So 
like at the time when I started my online business, I knew how to design a website that, that I knew the biggest hurdle to starting an online business is actually just starting a website. You know, people don't know how to do that. It's a, it's a technical uh, hurdle. I had already had that knowledge. That was something I, I based it on. The other thing I knew was pools. Like I already had that knowledge. So that was the industry that I chose to go into. Right. I was a terrible writer, but I was good at graphic design and I was good at making videos. And that was ultimately what I later decided the strength was. Now I'm saying that, you know, in hindsight, this is the things that I would have focused on early in my career. I would have focused less on words and more on video had I known, you know, my strengths at the time. And so if there's somebody out there who wants to start on any kind of online business, no matter what it is, it's really just like, shut the lights off, sit in a quiet room, light a candle. I don't care. And just like, be honest with yourself, you know, practice some self-awareness and figure out what are you good at? Just what are you good at? What do your friends tell you you're good at? Maybe it's cooking. Like maybe like you're just like the awesome, you're just an awesome pie baker, you know? So maybe your website should be about pies or maybe you start a pie business that's not online or maybe, I don't know. Like, I think the biggest thing you have to do is, is not try to do, not try to emulate somebody else because you see success. If I saw, you know, somebody else out there, like I'll give you a great example. I mean, you guys are bigger pockets. I mean, property, you know, investment properties is what you guys do and what you guys talk about. And if I followed you guys kind of like at a distance and go like, oh, look, those guys like, yeah, property investment, that's where the money's at. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to do that. I would be in so much debt. I am. I am in currently in so much debt. It is my weakness. I don't like real estate. I don't find any of it interesting. But yet here I am thinking, oh, look at those people. They're crushing it. I want to be like those people. And I have no previous strengths in that field whatsoever. I have no interest, but I don't know that. So I go down this path and I'm stressed constantly, whatever, versus, you know, just being alone and going, what am I good at? And just kind of like taking that and scaling that experience and that skill set. So, so I had a question for you. So one of your businesses was uh, the dog social network, right? It never ended up becoming a business, but I did build it. Well, I was saying, is this a good example of something that you maybe didn't have much experience in? A hundred percent. Yes. Yes. A classic example of, I realized I don't like dogs that much. Like I'm not. And the reason I built it was my girlfriend at the time was like that. She's like, she carried her teacup Yorkshire Terrier around and, and like <laughs> it was her daughter, whatever. And she knew other people like that. So I'm like, Oh my God, there's this community of people who want to like embody their dogs. And like, it's a, it's a thing. And I'm like, I need to capitalize on that. And it turns out like, after I had built it, I'm like, wait a minute, like my dog's cool and everything, but I don't like talk as him. You know, I don't, I don't post pictures of him at all on Facebook. So I wasn't the target customer and I knew nothing about the world. And I realized that after building the whole thing. So yes, I did. The one strength I had was I actually knew how to build a website, but I actually had to learn how to develop a social network site. So that I, it was two things that I was bad at. One was dogs and two was building <laughs> a SaaS product basically. See, now I live down the street from you, Matt, and we uh -huh. live in an area where people are just like your ex-girlfriend, very, very much in love with their dogs. Yes. I think you could make a boatload of money, just throw it back up online now. You still have all the code, right? I don't. Uh, and it would, it's so dated. It's so bad. I would never put it back <laughs> up online. But honestly, I wouldn't like doing it. I just wouldn't like it. So just put it up there and uh, sell it. 
could do that, but <laughs> they're stressed. They're stressed in every level of it. And I know that now, cause I've done so many projects now I've done two software companies that I'm like, I am bad at this and I've done it twice and I've sold both. And I give that advice in hindsight, right? I was definitely not the person years ago who sat in a quiet room with a candle and thought, what are my strengths? I was not that person. It's looking <laughs> back on the last 10 years and going like, oh yeah, that worked because that was a previous strength of mine. Oh yeah, that worked because of that. Oh, that didn't work because I was never good at that and never liked doing that. And you idiot, like, why did you even do that? But again, you see people out there building SaaS products, making a ton of money. And you're like, I could do that. I can be that guy. And then I do it and I'm stressed out and I don't know what I'm doing. And then I give up or worse, life can fall apart. I think that makes a ton of sense. Like so many people think, oh, I'm going to go out and start this online business. One of these 50 ideas I heard because that yeah. sounds like a good idea, but that has nothing to do with my skill set, nothing to do with anything I'm interested in. And I'm going to have to completely learn a new hard skill that is just going to be completely on the side and completely tangential to my work. Why would you go down that path? That's very impractical relative to if you could just think through like, what is it that you're good at and know how to do? And that will come totally. very easily and naturally to you while you pursue this interest over the next five years, making no money. Yeah. I mean, the why Before. is so, the why is so simple. I mean, why do people start selling uh, Herbalife? You know, it's like they heard someone else made a ton of money. Do you drink like health shakes? No. Do you care about any of this stuff? No. Have you ever sold anything ever? Probably not. But you heard one nobody, one fake, probably fake story of a nobody <laughs> going from $0 to a million dollars in three days. It's like their why is so simple. I mean, I even I fall for it. The things that I fall for are not make money fast schemes, although... I don't know if that could be true. I see somebody out there who made a, a WordPress plugin and in six months, they're making $2,500 a month. I'm like, I could do that. Hell yeah. Without even thinking about what my skill set actually is. <laughs> my skill set isn't those things. And maybe those things you learn way later down the line. Like, you know, I had built this plugin that I talked about earlier and I ended up selling it later. But later I found out that oh, wow, I'm actually incredibly stressed because I have to hire a developer and I don't know the terminology for some things. That's not a skill set. Oh, wow, like I have to answer customer service questions. This sucks. You know, like this is not something I want to do with my life. And I found all of that, like all of those byproducts, like, you know, these people online who are like, oh yeah, just build a SaaS product. You can make a billion dollars. You know, they're not telling you the crap. They're not telling you all of the stress involved with it. And when I started Money Lab, and I started doing all these experiments, you know, building little SaaS products and doing like big challenges and small challenges or whatever. My whole goal was, I'm not going to tell you how to do anything. I'm just going to show you what I'm doing. And I'm going to show you even the worst bits of this, even when everything goes to hell or I am just at my wits end that I'm stressed out or when I, I'm going to tell you when I give up because those are the things you don't hear about in this space. When you build an online business, you don't hear about, you know, I, I would assume like the whole reason I would ever get into like real estate investments is because I've heard only good stories. If you heard a slew of miserable stories, basically, if you heard my story a billion times from a billion different people, you'd be like, wow, that's just seems like the worst thing ever. But you don't hear that. You hear all the positive and that goes for every industry. I mean, negativity does not sell, right? It's like positivity <laughs> is what sells. And so and, and there are a lot more people who are successful with these things than I am. 
And so I am definitely the minority in that case, but I think that I am not the minority in the online business space. I think there's a lot of people out there who try and fail and especially in business in general. I mean, what is it like 90% of all businesses fail? You just hear that number, but you don't hear those individual stories all stacked up against one positive one. You know, I hear that comment, the 90% of all small businesses fail within the first two years. I hear that comment all the time. And I think about this clothing company that opened up by my house when I lived in Wisconsin and they were selling like gangster rapper clothes in probably the whitest neighborhood on the planet. Yeah, we had one of those too. Like everything about this business model was awful. I could tell it was going to be a failure by the zero people that were ever in the store. Right. It's like opening up a bikini store in an Amish neighborhood. You have no (laughs) clients. Your customers aren't there. You know what? You know what that could be in reverse? You know how the the saying of like, oh, he can sell uh, ketchup popsicles to a woman in white gloves. It could be like, oh, that guy could sell bikinis in an Amish neighborhood. Like that's how good that's how good that salesperson is. The point of that is that that's not the place to build your business. And no, a lot right. of people build businesses that are just like, hmm, why, well, why are you going I mean, there? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it would be like trying to start a pool company in the Pacific Northwest. It's, it's just doesn't make sense to do it up there because it's constantly raining and it's usually below 70 degrees. Right. Yeah. Yep. But I think that really highlights what you're saying is know your strengths and do what you're going to do well, that same bikini store is going to go out of business in Amish country. It's going to flourish in San Diego because that's where your customers are. So, and it depends, like, what is that person good at? Are they good at bikinis? Like, are they good at crafting bikinis? Because if so, then you can craft bikinis, put them online and sell them. And that's what you're good at. Like, that's a skill set that you're utilizing. If you're good at living in intercourse PA, I would say that's not a skill. And if you're like, well, <laughs> it looks like the bikini market's blowing up over there in, in San Diego. Let me bring it. You know, it's I see it from a distance doing well without any context whatsoever and then trying to replicate that with zero knowledge. And that's where people get in trouble as they see the success stories and they have no context as to like what happened there. Like uh, I had this whole bit on Money Lab where it's like how I built a mildly successful six figure business in 14 years, you know? <laughs> and and my, the idea was like how I built a business in 30 years overnight. You know, it's like this idea that if I just told you my story from yesterday to today, you'd be like, wow, that feels like you did that overnight. And it's like, sure. Cause I told, I just, <laughs> I give you all the context. And then if I told you it took me 10 years, you're like, wow, only 10 years. That's great. I could spend 10 years doing that. I'm like, oh, well, hold on. Like, let me tell you about every time I cried and every time I got yelled at by my boss or every time my parents would say, when are you going to get a job? When are you going to get a job? When are you going to get a job? And when I was out of money, like, let me tell you every single, and stack all of those stories up on top of each other. And it's like, whoa, I don't want to do any of that. That sounds terrible. I'm just going to go stick working here at the Amish bikini store. And by the way, like this is not like this is not the first time I've heard this kind of story. Like sure. you're an entrepreneur, you're self-employed, you're an entrepreneur, you're building businesses, you're working for yourself. You've done yeah. this for a long time, right? Almost everyone I know in that in that area has gone through similar types of pain and struggle and has at certain points had to practice that extreme frugality that yes. you, we heard from that. And frankly, I'm an employee, right? Mm-hmm. I I work here at Bigger Pockets and 
I will never have the experience of pain and suffering that you, that you kind of went through yeah. because, it, because I just saved up some money and have bought some investments more passively over the past four or five years. And so I think that there's a big case to be made of like, don't go down this path if it's just the money that you're interested in, right? You, because you hit, you hit there's the nail easier the ways to get the money, I think. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to go down that road with you and you just said it. If your motivation for starting an online business is to be rich or to make more money, you are doing it for the wrong reason. And I say that because my reason, my reason for doing any of this was actually a negative. I wanted to never work for someone else again. And I would have done anything it took to, and that was my only metric was like, Hey, am I not working for someone else today? I win. But how, <laughs> or how much are you making? Like, don't worry about that. There's nothing, you know, like I'm making, I made $5 today. <laughs> That was never my metric. So even the year that I was making $20,000 a year and had to sell all of my assets and moving with my younger brother, I was still winning. My metric was met at that moment. You know, even when I was unemployed, I won because I, my metric <laughs> was met immediately. I was like, guess what? I'm not working for anybody. Like, yeah, you're a deadbeat. Like, you're, <laughs> you're not working on unemployment. Like, yeah. You're on, I'm like, yeah, but I'm not working for anybody. Huh? Gotcha. So yeah, I, I think the motivation of like, getting rich quickly or thinking you're going to make a ton of money. I mean, I thought I was going to make a ton of money, but that wasn't my motivation, but yeah, I'm definitely not at that point right now. It's, it's definitely better than most, but I mean, I'm not in the 1% and I'm probably not even in the 10 top 10%. So, and I have way more stress than the average person. I, at least I think I do, but yeah, from the outside looking in, it looks pretty great. looks pretty great. It does. Yeah. I'm sitting here listening to you say all this, stuff. And this is the best thing to do is to start your own online business to make no money and have way more stress than you would if you worked for yeah. somebody. Because according to Matt, you're winning. When yeah. you're not working for anybody, you're winning, even if, if you're making if no money. If that's your motivation, that was definitely <laughs> mine. Okay. Matt, this has been super, super informative and a really good look at what it takes to start an online business. It isn't just, oh, I'm going to review swim products. Now I'm a millionaire. I started it yesterday. Like that's not going to happen. It can be a good source of passive income down the road. Like you said, you could let it run for five years and it would go by itself pretty easily. So you can't yeah. take a break. I mean, just like property. I mean, look, I own a property and right now it doesn't make money, but I know in, in five years it will. It's hard for me to live right now and go, oh, it's this costing me money right now. But I know in my heart of hearts, if I just hold on. I am not a long-term thinker by nature. I have to train myself to be a long-term thinker. But when I do, all of these things will pay off if you nurture and you pay attention and you care for it, just like a pool or anything else. Like the more you take care of it, the longer it'll last and the, the better and more it'll pay off over time. So it is an investment. It's an investment in time for sure. Okay. Now it's time for our famous four questions. These are the same five questions that we ask every one of our guests. What is your favorite finance book. Yes. I would say I will teach you to be rich changed my financial life. Okay. And that is, I'm going to make you pronounce his name too. Yes. Uh, Ramit Sethi. Sethi. I've always yeah. read that as Sethi and until I heard somebody say it and I felt like an idiot. Yeah. It's kind of a, I would say a bad title. It feels very uh, schwarmy, scammy sort of title but it is anything but. The base substance that you'll get from it is, I think, the automation piece of it. Is now that we live in a digital age, 
you know, instead of you having to be responsible and take out 10% for yourself, if you know, pay yourself first sort of mentality, there's actually computers that will pay yourself first for you. What was your biggest money mistake? <laughs> I think I mentioned that too. The uh, <laughs> yes. credit card, but that was only 500 bucks, right? Yeah, it was only 500 bucks. I was just, uh, was, was, was the most bucks. funny money Ooh. mistake. Yeah, that was, really? that's true. Oh man. Oh, I would say that my house, my condo was my biggest money mistake. And the way I look at it now is, and I don't know if this is true. A lot of people would say, oh, I regret going to college because like, I'm not even using my degree and I owe 30, 40, $80, $200,000 in student loan debt. And I made this mistake, you know, when I was right out of high school and I've been paying for it ever since. That is sort of how I feel about my condo is I bought it without any knowledge whatsoever of buying a house. I didn't deserve to own a house. I had no money. I had a terrible credit score, but I just wanted a house. And then they were giving out houses like candy at the bank. So I just took it <laughs> and I've been paying for it. I mean, definitely less than a, a student loan mortgage because I have a renter in there, a student loan, but it's been a burden for the last six years now or no. Yeah. Six years. And it, uh, Really don't see any signs of it paying off anytime soon, but I mean, I'm fingers crossed, long-term thinking, got to train myself, just keep going. It's really sad and, you know, alarming though that, Hey, I bought this condo at the worst possible date in history Yes, to buy a condo yes. and it crashed and it's way better than having a corresponding amount of student loan debt yeah. because I could put a tenant in there. Right. And it's just like, that's an amazing statement, right? That, Hey, like the, but possibly the worst financial decision you could have made at the time, you know, if you were trying, right. That's still not as bad as, as, as a student having loan. student loan debt. If you're going to come out with a job income, that's at the same level that you were earning at that. At, yeah. At that or point. if you're not even using the degree, like the job that you have now is not even the job that you trained four years for. So yeah, you're right. I could put a tenant in there, which I absolutely did. And it softens the blow for sure, but it is still a blow. It, you know, I'm still spending money every single month to have that place. So it is my biggest financial mistake, I think. Absolutely. Uh, what is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? I think the best way to start out with finances, I mean, is the way that I did, because it certainly helped me. It was just like, first of all, you have to want to be better. You have to want to be better with your money. And then you will read. And I think you should read books. I don't think you should read some blogs, because I, and I, I say that now in this wild west of the internet that we live in right now, where we don't know what's good or bad. I know recently, as being in this industry, Google did a huge update August 1st and just crushed a lot of sites. And a lot of them were in the personal finance space and the medical space. So if that gives you any context as to like the information that's out there that may not be good, I think time-tested books that people have been reading forever I think are great. I think The Richest Man in Babylon is a great book. Uh, Think and Grow Rich is a great book. I think uh, I Will Teach You to Be Rich has been recommended thousands of times to me. And look for book recommendations that have been recommended to you by people who are not in the same situation as you. You know, like I would say if someone's like, hey, you should read The Millionaire Next Door. You should read, uh, you know, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And you're like, but you're poor. It's like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Maybe don't read that one. You know, maybe read something that's, uh, that, you know, a rich uncle or, or a rich aunt is like, yeah, this is the book that, that got me off the ground. It's like, Oh, okay. She knows her stuff. Yeah. Good advice from people about money who know something about money. Yes. 
Yes. That seems, yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of one of the tenets of richest man in Babylon. It might be. Yeah. 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 I know it was like one of the tenants was pay yourself first. I remember pay that. yourself first, invest with people who know what they're talking about. Yes. Which, you know, take advice from people who know what they're talking about. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess as far as business, again, focus on your strengths, you know, sit down with yourself, figure out what you're good at and capitalize on what you're already good at. Um, all right. What is your favorite joke to tell at parties? I don't have one. What? I oh, honestly, no. I like being funny at parties. I try to be the center of attention. I try to make people laugh constantly. I don't have any go-to jokes. Like I just don't have any jokes. And, and I, I have my dad's friend would come over like every other day and he would tell me a different joke and I would crack up laughing and I could never remember and recite them. And the ones that I do know, I can't recite them here. So thank you. Uh, yes. So I will say that Christy is going to save your backside today. And she wrote in, some of our listeners write in and share their jokes with us. So Christy says, how does the hamburger introduce his girlfriend? Hey, bun. Hi, Patty. This is Patty. Meet Patty. Ah, yes. Uh, Sounds like, <laughs> did we do the pirate joke? What is a pirate's favorite letter? Yeah, I know this one. What is what the is pirate's it? favorite <laughs> letter? So I know the whole joke. The person says, R, you're like, oh, you would think it'd be R, but actually it's the C. Wow. That's like word for word. Do you have access to my document? I guess I don't tell that joke at parties. I'll tell you that. I just know it. (laughs) I tell that joke at parties. That's a good one. It's a good, it's a good icebreaker. Okay. Uh, Did we talk about why did the pirate put tape on the squid? No. He was afraid it was Kraken. Oof. Oof. God, you have to know that. There's like... (laughs) to be smart to get that like if you have to know what a kraken is man do people know that like that an octopus is a kraken i don't don't even know if that's true i think that's more of a thing recently there's some sort of something that's going on in the well yeah there's the rum but there's also like little kids know it my kid knows Uh, what a kraken is but not because of the rum is it because of spongebob could be yeah or pirates of the caribbean or the pirates of the yeah. 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 So anyway, that was Logan Fast. I want to make sure to give credit where credit is due or blame where blame is due. Um, and now I'm out of jokes. So if you have an amazing joke and you've listened to this far to these horrible jokes, send them to Scott at biggerpockets.com or Mindy at biggerpockets.com. Matt G, mm-hmm. where can people find out more about you? Well, uh, people can find out about me if they go to moneylab.co, where I share everything about myself, my businesses. I do challenges. I do experiments. I also run a podcast there. It's a money lab podcast. If you search for it and the other place that I'm found is I'm on iTunes and I have, I have two podcasts. I have the money lab podcast and I have another podcast called listen money matters, which I do with a, both of which I do with my co-host Andrew Fiebert. So uh, one about personal finance, one about entrepreneurship, and that's where you can find me. Awesome. Matt, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. This is really fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is awesome. Okay. Well, enjoy the rest of your day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. That was Matt from moneylab.co. What'd you think of today's episode, Mindy? I really like how he lays it bare and he's a funny guy, but he's not like, Hey, this is all great. You should totally do it. He's like, you know what? Sometimes it sucks. And this is what my experience was. And I really love that he shared 
the true story of his overnight success in 10 short years. What I really liked and what I kind of mentioned in earlier in the episode is that Matt has a different idea of how to manage money, which is correct for him. And I think in the FI community, there's this, there's sometimes gets to some preachiness about how frugality is the key leverage point. The only way to go. Yeah. Or index fund investing is the only way to go or real estate investing is the only way to go. And then you have these different sub segments of the, of the community that are really, I guess, you know, they idolize certain methods of getting to financial freedom. And I think that it doesn't really matter. You see all these people achieving success in different ways by pulling the levers that make sense for them, right? Yeah. Frugality applies to certain people as an important lever. It doesn't really apply to business owners who are making, who have businesses that are earning over six figures, right? It's just, if you spend 30,000 versus 60,000, it's not going to make the material difference in your wealth accumulation that that does make if you're a full-time employee, right? And Matt recognizes that and he applies the pressure to his businesses. He builds and sells and scales businesses that he creates over the last 10 short years overnight. Yeah. And generally what works for one will work for someone else, but personal finance is personal entrepreneurship is also a personal journey. And, you know, what works for you is really all that matters. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Scott, this episode ran super long today, so we should get out of here. Do you have anything else to say to our listeners before we go? I do not have anything else to say to the listeners. Goodbye, but I will see you next week. Okay. So from episode 41 of the Bigger Pockets Money Show, this is Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench, and we're leaving. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.